from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. We talk about sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. Um, we'll, we'll talk about podcasters who do do themselves, I think. <laughs> and we'll tell you, we have our gambling segment, our first one of the year, plus the favorite portion of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Twitterverse, hit up hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. It doesn't have to be a sports topic. It certainly can be. Rick asks them, I answer them, and away we go. Rick, uh, we are inching closer and closer to the start of the NFL season. We had a little bit of a college slate. I... I I know we don't count in our gambling totals, but I but I was very convinced on Notre Dame on Saturday, as I mentioned on the podcast last week, and they did not let me down. Um, that was an easy one to start the season with. And maybe that's the worst thing that can happen is get an easy one under your belt. It, it might be, but I'll admit, they kind of won me over a little bit. They had me as a believer because I've felt like over the last several years, quarterback has kind of been the issue for Notre Dame. Not that they haven't had decent quarterbacks, but when they get up into those elite games, they're playing in Ohio State or someone like that, their quarterbacks haven't measured up in those games. This kid looks like the real deal. Sam Hartman, he's so experienced and he's accurate and he just knows the game. I mean, it, it felt like he was playing at a different speed from the other guys on the field in that one. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like that offense could have scored, um, you know, a, a thousand touchdowns if it didn't want it in that game. It played at whatever pace it wanted to play at. And so, all right, I'm, I'm all, not, not officially with you and I, but myself, I'm off to a 1-0 start. I'm glad I didn't buy into the USC's defense is going to get better hype train because um, they certainly didn't cover against Woeful San Jose State. So I'm glad I stayed away from that, but but I'm glad I got off to a good start. I, I made the mistake of testing out the new NF, or the, the the new college rules with the the running clock, not stopping first downs. I tried the under in that USC game; it did not go well for me. <laughs> yeah, well, just keep in mind, no matter how, no matter no matter the new rule or not, that's still a USC defense that's out there. It's still a Lincoln Riley defense that's out there. That, that's right, and I'm not the only one who is aware of the the rule changes. I think Vegas might have been alerted about that as well. So. Yes. All right, let's get into our topics for the week. We'll start with the Bengals. They wrapped up the preseason on Saturday with a 21-19 loss to the Commanders. Skinny, we're now a week and a half away from their week one game in Cleveland against the Browns. I think, you know, big big story this week was cut down day coming on Tuesday. They got down to their 53-man roster. Um, Out of those cuts, I don't think there were any big surprises, but probably the most notable storyline coming from that was Jake Browning beating out Trevor Simeon for that second quarterback spot. Trevor Simeon got cut. That was something that you had talked about a lot on here. It's something that most of the local media members had seemed to to think after what we saw through the preseason. Uh, what was your final takeaways when they got down to, to cut down day? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he earned it for sure. I, I even phrased that to, to Zach yesterday. Did he win this job um, or did you just have to pick a guy? And he, he said he thought Jake won, went and won it. Do I feel comfortable with Jake Browning having to start multiple games for this team? No, definitely not. Am I comfortable even if he has to start a game? Probably not. But I will say for a lot of the hand-wringing, it, it was rightful at times. I mean, he doesn't have a howitzer for an arm. Uh, you know, he had, some, he had some inconsistencies in camp. Right or wrong, when the lights were on, I know against backups, all those goofy things, he completed his last 10 passes of the preseason and looked pretty good in doing so, that last drive in Atlanta. And then, honestly, you know, he put together that scoring drive going four for four. The second drive, would, would they converted a third down, a pass to Tanner Hudson, they got called back by a, a, a face mask on Trey Hill. He might have led him to another touchdown drive. So I think, to his credit, he did go out and win that job. Do I think he's a long-term answer? Probably not. But, uh, you know, at, at least he won the job. At least, again, somebody didn't win this by default. 
when you say he's not a long-term answer, do you just mean going forward into next year and beyond? Or do you mean there's a good chance that they'll bring in another guy here after other teams make their cuts and they'll kind of let him learn the playbook throughout the next several weeks. And by mid season, maybe they'll have a different backup. Yeah. And I mean, unless Jake continues to improve and maybe that, maybe that happens too. Maybe he continues to take strides, but I, yeah, I do think that that's going to take place. It's just, again, no knock. He's a very smart guy. I think I've said this before. The wide receivers all come to him during games to, to ask what he sees. They don't want to bother Joe during games. And, and so he's the guy they go to. And I think he's going to make a fine offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach one day. But I mean, this is his fifth year in the league and he's never taken a snap in a regular season NFL game. That, that, that's not a coincidence. Yeah, there, there's a reason for that. And that's but I will say if the, the plan was you got into camp and you got into first precinct game, whatever you saw neither of these guys are really what we're looking for, then Jake Browning should have always been the no-brainer call. And he ended up playing himself into that anyways. Trevor Simeon was terrible. He did, but yeah. e- even at, just looking at them, if they if neither one of them were the guy you wanted them to be for the backup quarterback position, then you got to go with Browning because he's so familiar with the organization, the playbook, the guys on the team already. I mean, it probably made it a really easy decision. Uh, the other yeah, thing that we like talked said, a little I, bit I, Oh, the, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think they'll go get somebody. In fact, probably by the time this podcast is up, they will have already signed somebody um, for that third spot. And to your point, you now have a guy familiar with the system as the main backup. And then whoever this other person would be, um, you know, can use the next month, two months, three months, maybe the whole year to learn the system and then go back and compete in camp next year. The other thing we had talked a little bit about last week and the week before we were talking about cutdowns was – Running backs and tight ends. Are they going to go four running backs, three tight ends, three running backs, four tight ends, uh, three of both? What would be the situation? It turns out they keep four running backs, Mixon, Brown, Evans, and Williams, and they end up keeping three tight ends, Irv Smith, Drew Sample, Mitchell Wilcox. Uh, Skinny, were you surprised by that at all? And uh, what what do you think of the tight end situation specifically? Is there a chance they might add someone else there? Yeah, they did that last year. They went and got Devin Asiasi off waivers. They cut him this year, obviously. I'm a little surprised Tanner Hudson didn't make it. I thought he played his way into a role. And quite frankly, I hate to keep crapping on the guy. I just didn't see anything from Drew Sample in training camp. I mean, he was hurt for most of last year. Really wasn't an overly productive player. I know he does things. And, and you know, Zach even pointed out, you know, some of the things that he does, his smarts and all those things, a lot of intangibles to me. But um, I, I honestly, I didn't think he was very productive to the point he should have made this team, but may, maybe he'll prove me wrong. I hope for his sake, he does. Um, you know, I, I thought Tanner Hudson outplayed him. I think Mitchell Wilcox has played his way probably into the backup tight end role over the last couple of years. Once they saw him get healthy in camp, that was kind of a no brainer for them to keep him. And then I, 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 w- I, I wouldn't say I was surprised. I was, I, I guess I was a little surprised that, that they, that they kept Travion Williams, but I think what it shows is, um, and Zach made this point to us yesterday after we after the cuts were made and we talked to him of Travion playing himself into the mix for that third down back. And I think that's what they wanted from the get go. They wanted him to be that that blocking third down uh, running back to take some of the shoulder off of, of Joe Mixon as opposed to giving it to a rookie in Chase Brown. Now, Chase played well, I thought, in the preseason. You know, I, I can't grade his pass blocking ability. They they. They seem to like it. I don't know if they love it. They, they at least seem to like it. But the way Zach was talking yesterday, I think the reason they kept Travion Williams is, frankly, they really believe Travion Williams has enough time here in the next two weeks to play himself into that backup running back spot. And I, and I didn't think that was the case. That's why I didn't think they were going to keep him. I thought they'd let him go through, bring him back to practice squad, then toggle him and Chris Evans and however they were going to do that throughout the season. But I think they really want Travion to be the guy. Is it possible that 
Chase Brown didn't show them what they were hoping for during the preseason, and that's part of why Williams is still here? I think, yeah, I think he did as a runner and a receiver, to be honest with you. I, I, I believe that. But again, and they haven't crapped on his pass blocking ability. They haven't overly raved about it, but it, it sounds like at least he's a willing pass blocker. Um, you know, but again, it's something that's hard for, I think us to see if you're not watching film and, and seeing what coaches want to see. Um, and maybe he is, maybe, you know, maybe Travion over the next two weeks doesn't show them what they're hoping he shows them and, and chases the backup running back on game days. I, I, I do think it'll be more of a three man rotation than a, a two man. And I don't even mean that because Joe's going to get the bulk of the first and second down snaps, but you know, perhaps there's a, there's a role for chase to get three to five snaps and then Travion's your third down back and Chris Evans is down on game day. Um, or maybe Chris is a third down back. Maybe he showed enough. It's it's a weird mix because I don't think there's a clear-cut guy at that spot at the moment, and you only got two weeks to figure this out. Yeah, it doesn't seem so. Now, that's not a – running back isn't a position that you think they might add someone, is it? I, I did um, – a couple of weeks ago, I don't think so now. Um, yeah, I don't think so now. I think that that's. I think if that was the case, they would have only kept three guys. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was thinking. Once you saw four there, and just the way it played out, I didn't think anyone really wowed in the preseason. But it seemed like all of them did enough that you weren't in panic mode or anything, and felt you need to scramble and, and right. add another body. Uh, some of the other notables, yeah. at least, that popped up to me, and I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say. Akima Deneji, I thought was an interesting name that that got whacked. Any thoughts on that backup lineman spot? Yeah, I, I yeah, I had him um on my 53 only because I wasn't sure where the Dante Smith injury was coming off of Friday with the shoulder. If you were gonna tell me he was healthy, and apparently he is, then I would have cut Hakeem. I mean, he had slipped to third team in camp, pretty much was that guy. Um, you know, they had some issues at tackle during some of the preseason games. And so Akeem got some run, but um, he just didn't show them. And once, once you saw him taking reps with the threes, it was almost like you're the odd man out. You know, they still got Lyle Collins waiting in the wings. He's going to be on pup for the first, at least the first four weeks um, as, as he returns from that knee injury. And so I think for them, a tackle was going to go because of that. I think they felt comfortable. I think Deontay may be the swing guy after all with Jackson Carmen being inactive, but um, you know, Hakeem had just slipped behind those guys. Yeah. Then Trent Taylor was the name that I know you had mentioned it. The writing was probably on the wall for the, him with the way that they had drafted this year and the local people knew it. But I think even when his name popped up on that list of guys who were cut, the national media were kind of shocked by it just because he's I know. Role the last few years. Yeah. I, I think I saw Ian Rappaport's tweet was, was surprising. And then I saw a bunch of people clap back. Not a surprise at all because they drafted Charlie Jones for a reason. And I get it. You don't need to know all the new, I know he's an NFL reporter, a national reporter. I don't expect even those guys to know every nuance of a team of, of where they're going and why they drafted guys. But I think for all of us, I had a friend of mine that actually texted me yesterday as well and said, said Trent Taylor got cut question mark. And I said, he got cut the day they drafted Charlie Jones. I mean, that's, that was pretty clear. Yeah. But see, that's the, that's the whole point right there. Although, like, I saw local media members clapping back at Rappaport being like, oh, wake up. Everyone knew this already. It's like, well, nationally, no, they didn't. No one cares about what's going on with Trent Taylor. And second of all, not even from a national perspective, but if you ask 90% of the Bengals fans in the stadium on next Sunday, they're not going to be aware of that fact. Like, that's going to be news to them, or they're going to be a little bit surprised that that little white guy who was making plays last year and and returning punts isn't on the team anymore. So, like, I, I don't understand the losing their minds because that was somewhat notable. I mean, it's, yeah, you might've known it was coming if you were following training camp every day, but aside from that, 
it was Correct. fairly notable. I think from a national perspective, it was a fine tweet. I, that's sometimes we get a little overzealous here in the Midwest with our with our sports teams. Yeah, I, listen, I, I I I sometimes roll my eyes at some of the stuff they do, but on that one, I'm like, I get it. You don't need to know all the nuances, but it wasn't surprising. It was it was pretty yeah. obvious. I think the whole point for for keeping Trent Taylor was. If Charlie Jones had been a disaster handling punts in, in camp and in preseason games, you've got a nice little backup plan there. But the plan all along was you're drafting this guy to eventually be your slot receiver down the road and your punt returner in the short term. It was pretty pretty clear. And, uh, you know, if Trent hooks on with another team, great. If not, I'm, I'm assuming they bring him back as an insurance policy on the practice squad. Yeah. And then, I mean, we knew this was coming as well. Brad Robbins beat out Drew Chrisman. That was pretty obvious that that was going to be the case as long as Robbins wasn't terrible in preseason I think right yeah and and you know when they drafted him I, I think at that point um even though Drew had some experience that was kind of Robin's job to lose um and Drew punted well I mean he averaged 46 point I think he actually averaged one tenth of a yard less um gross I think Robin was 46-4 Christmas was 46-3 Christmas net was 46-3 had three punts returned for no yards um, actually one punt return for no yards and two fair catches. Brad's was like 42 something, but you know, Brad's hang time and directional, all the things they asked him to do. The operation of the kicking game was flawless. I mean, Evan McPherson was eight for eight. Not all of those Brad held, but Brad held for a chunk of them. Um, that was kind of flawless. So I think once he showed that again, it was his job to lose and he did not lose it. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about the defensive line because I did think there's at least a name or two on there that, that got cut. That was, you know, an NFL quality player, in my opinion. But to me, none of those were going to be surprises just because there were so many bodies and so much depth at that position that it was like uh, it, you knew there were going to be a couple decent players cut there. Yeah, I, I was talking to Paul Daner Jr. from The Athletic, and I, I said, you know, I, I, I tried to sneak Raymond Johnson the third on my final 53, and he said, so did I. I was trying to speak it into existence because he really was – he really did pop in, in preseason. But, I mean, it was such a crowded group that – I mean, even Jeff Gunter, who they like and drafted and liked him, you know, uh, all through the process, he gets cut. I mean, it was just a tight room to begin with. And, yeah, I think you're right. Some guys who are pretty good players uh, ended up getting getting whacked at that position. Yeah, the the two you mentioned were exactly who I was thinking of, Um, just guys that showed they can play already a little bit or at least looked like they can. And, um, you know, there's not enough room for them. But I imagine they'll latch on somewhere, or if not, they'll be back on the practice squad. Uh. Skinny, coming away from the uh, the preseason, Joseph Osai has a high ankle sprain, we've learned. How big of a concern is that going into the season? Is this something that's going to keep him out for multiple games? Where are we at with that? Yeah, there was no timeline yesterday. We talked to Zach again on Thursday. Hopefully there's a, a clearer timeline to that. Um, and, and, you know, those high ankle sprains can go for multiple weeks um, sometimes. And, you know, he was kind of your definitive rotational third end. Um, and now now you're to Miles Murphy, who didn't wow in the preseason. And, you know, Lou Anarumo made a point to us last week. You know, he, he, he loathes playing rookie corners if he can help it just because of their inexperience. Um, and the mistakes they make. And, and he made a point of how pass rushers in this league need some time to develop too. And, and I know there's a lot of people crapping on Miles Murphy and calling him a bust already, which is just idiotic to me. You haven't seen enough from the guy one way or the other to, to claim he's either an all pro or a bust. He's just a guy trying to make his way through his first camp for goodness sakes. But I mean, you may have him thrust into that rotational, you know, defensive end role and he's going to have to step up and play some big boy snaps. 
yeah, the Miles Murphy thing is is funny because on one hand, I get it. It's like you draft a guy first overall. There are guys who pop right away and flash and look the part, and that's what you want out of your first-round draft pick. So I get being like, oh, he doesn't exactly look the part just yet or look like an immediate contributor. At the same time, it is insane to start calling a guy a bust because of a couple of preseason games. I mean, that's just – I don't think that's remotely reasonable for – for a defensive end that's just getting his first snap. I mean, what, like 20-something snaps in the third preseason game that people are worried Correct. about that? It's like, relax. I think we need a little bit more tape to yeah, go and, off of. And Washington's passing game was get it back, get it out, get it out quick, as quick as you could. I mean, it's, it's I can't expect a guy to pop pass rushing on the handful of snaps that a guy has a deep drop on. I mean, listen, I thought he had a really good last week at camp. That's where he finally popped to me. And um it didn't carry over fully to the Washington game, but some of that, again, is out of his control with what a team is doing offensively. Um, but, again, you're going to ask this kid probably if Osai has to miss some time to be a rotational end right off the bat. Or you're going to ask Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson to play more snaps than you'd like them to play. Skinny Lyle Collins was uh, added to the pup list, physically unable to perform, which means he'll be he'll have to miss at least four games right before he's able to return. That's the the rule, the way it works now. Correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So what what do you think was the thought process there with with Lyle Collins? Is that just um, kick the can down the road a little bit, see how it works out over the first few games, and then maybe you can plug him in as a potential backup? Or is, is it possible that they'd cut bait with him at some point? I think that was was possible to cut bait because of the, what you could save in the salary situation. Um, I mean, you still got the Burrow contract out there. You still got T out there, which I don't feel – I've felt this for a while that it's not going to get done. Um, but, yeah, I think it is kick the can down the road. He's yet to practice, so that, that that's step one. He's got to return to practice. Um, you know, he's not done any of that yet. Um, so that, that made all the sense in the world. And then – after those four games, you know, you, you can figure out where you're at with with Jonah Williams. Um, you can figure out where you're at maybe with your backup swing tackle. Uh, and maybe he is a real insurance policy that you're like, hey, we've got all our nickels accounted for this year. Um, however, you're going to structure the borough contract whenever that's done. You've, you've got that accounted for or whatever. If you have all that accounted for, I know he's an expensive backup, but what's been the holdup over the last two years in the postseason, right? Has been injuries to that offensive line, or two years ago, really just the offensive line talent in general. Um, Lyle can also play some guards, so you have a you have a valuable piece possible as a backup. It's an expensive insurance policy, but you know you got an insurance policy in Matt Sharping last year. He was more expensive than what you would normally pay a backup. And while he did well in the Buffalo game, he was overmatched by Chris Jones in the Kansas City game. But he was a nice insurance policy. He paid off enough for what you were paying him. Lyle, you're expecting to pay off as a starter. And so if something were to happen in this season and you can plug a guy with all the starts under his belt that Lyle Collins has, you know, God forbid Orlando Brown goes down and you have to put Jonah back at left tackle, however that shakes down. You do have a guy who is a is a bo- bonafide starter in this league and so that's where I think the the initial thing is yeah kick it down the road let's see where we're at after four weeks for everything and then see what decision we have to make at that point but um it it may be a good insurance policy to keep around yeah he he wasn't great last year by any stretch of the imagination but I would feel a lot more confident if he's the backup option yeah yeah I mean no listen I think Jackson Carmen for whatever reason he's fine at left tackle but if you're a swing tackle backup you've got to be able to play right and he's not played very well at that spot. You know, maybe he gets better over the next few weeks. 
I, I'm glad for Deontay Smith. He's a good kid and all, but you know, he was the guy that was inactive for almost every game last year. The guy only has, has played in three games in his NFL career over two seasons. I'm going to feel a lot better with Lyle Collins as the, as the main backup, if it comes to it, than I will with Deontay Smith or Jackson Carmen. Yeah. Skinny, we were just talking about Miles Murphy and kind of thoughts on him already coming out. I know it's, we were just saying how silly it is to make judgments on rookies already, but just looking at it now after the cuts and we've been through the first three preseason games, you've seen them in training camp every day. All eight draft picks made this team. Do you think this will be looked back on as a good draft class for the Bengals? Again, not going to hold you to this. Realize it's absurd to make a judgment this early, but looking at it based on what we know right now, do you think this will turn out to be a good class? I do, and and some of it is, I mean, DJ Ivy did not make this team because they needed to force and uh, you know force him on the roster. So it wasn't like, man, you know, we drafted him, but gosh, we 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 don't we don't have anybody else. We you know they signed Sidney Jones, who started games in this league. Now Sidney had an injury issue, but didn't play very well. They like they genuinely like DJ Ivy. He's had some issues in a couple of games where they've thrown at him and all of those things, but he's got all the the measurables you can want and, and flash at times in camp. You know, DJ Turner was a standout at points of camp. Andre Yoshibosh is better than they thought. And I think they thought a lot of Andre Yoshibosh. You know, the, the one guy who's a little disappointing because he hasn't popped is Charlie Jones, but he hasn't been awful. Um, and he's playing through an injury. And, you know, I, I, it's okay. Jordan Battles had his really, really good moments, and he's had his really, really bad moments. He, he really struggled. Um, he had a really good first series the other night, and then after that he was a mess. Um, and I get it. He's your four safety probably at the moment. Uh, and, and, you know, then we go back to Murphy at the top, who, again, the jury's still very much out on all these guys. But, I mean, literally, I could make a case for all these picks really proving they belong on this roster, not by default, but by proving they belong. And I think it's a good thing because this is a good roster. Yeah, definitely. I was just curious to get your, your thoughts on that. Again, I mean, we'll see what happens, you know, not just a year from now, but even beyond that to, to really judge it. But the last two years, all all the picks have made the team. And I think that's uh, that says a little bit of something because it felt like a lot of times they'd they'd draft and there'd be two or three guys where you're like, well, they got probably no chance. Yeah, and, and some of that, again, I think all these guys did earn their way on, but keep in mind when you're having to pay certain position groups what you're having to pay, you need to have guys on rookie contracts. And so that's a lot of guys on rookie contracts at the moment, which is which is a good thing. It means you also like those guys, but there's also some some cost savings involved with some of that too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one last thing real quick here. The uh, Bengals released their own, I wouldn't say it was like hard knocks necessarily, but kind of a hard knocks-esque behind the scenes video series that they just launched um, on their YouTube page, I guess, and on their website. It's called From the Jungle, Bengals All Access. And uh, there were a couple of things I thought were pretty interesting about it. One, they had Zach Taylor narrating the first episode, which I thought maybe he was going to be the narrator for the whole series. Sounds like they'll have different narrators each episode. But either way, I was kind of surprised you could get an NFL head coach to commit to that at all i was gonna say I, maybe for that first episode you can do that but you, you, there's no way he's got time to do that through a whole season well that's it i mean but think about a head coach during training camp even the fact that he would be like yeah right, i'll no. sit down and narrate this scripted thing and i'm not talking about they're filming him and he's talking i'm talking about he did voiceovers throughout the whole thing yep. for every little thing that happened like they're gonna show footage of uh orlando brown coming to town that's Zach Taylor narrating him on the plane and him flying in and what, what it meant. So it was pretty cool in that aspect that Zach agreed to do that. I thought that was big. Uh, also, I didn't think it was as whitewashed as you would have expected or cleaned up. It was, um, you know, you, you had players cussing. They 
bleeped it out, but you had players cussing on camera. You had the skirmish with the Packers in practice, and and that was shown. And there were some interesting little contract things that were shown. So I thought they actually gave you some actual behind-the-scenes stuff from it, uh, despite it being from the team's own production uh, camp, I guess. And and maybe the best part from it were the scenes at the very end. It looked like maybe they were teasing the next episode, and it showed them like negotiating free agency deals. Like They were on the phone, and uh, they're, they're running between rooms like, oh, we spent this much on this position. Do we still have, what do we have for this position? Can we make the deal? That type of thing. That's fascinating to me. I love watching how that works in between the, the front office people. And, and I thought that was really good footage. I'm hoping that's in the next episode. Yeah. I, I know this won't get public, but I would love to see whatever's going on behind the scenes in the Joe Burrow situation, what those conversations are like. We're never going to see that. I don't think Joe's going to allow that. I mean, remember, they both went into this saying we're not going to negotiate publicly. Now, maybe when all is said and done, they will have the most fascinating episode of all time with how this all shook out, either good or bad. I, I don't think we're going to see that portion of the program, though. I really don't. That's a that's a really good point. But I would imagine they'll have something about it, like some type of little behind the scenes access, which any well, they, yeah. it's a him, lot of that. It's a lot of the guy signing the new contract. Yeah, yeah, they, they did that with Logan yeah, Wilson. Exactly. Um, but again, yep. even that was like kind of a cool moment. It's something that you don't normally see. Like Zach Taylor greeting him as he comes into the facility to sign his his uh, contract extension was kind of like a, a cool moment to see for a fan, I think. And uh, I'll just say this, Giddy, whether you watched it or not, I think it's it, it it's worth pointing out that the Blackburn slash Brown family and the Bagels organization. I don't know if anyone anywhere has done a better PR job of turning around their image. And a lot of it has to do with drafting Joe Burrow and just winning, but they've also gone out of their way to start getting out there and reaching out to the community a little bit. And I'm sure it's cost them a little money to do some of these things, but it's working. Like they are building some goodwill, even like Katie Blackburn going out the day of the Taylor Swift concert, picking two random women and their, their kids or whatever, and being like, Hey, let's go to the, the game and sit, or let's go to the concert and sit in the front row. That type of stuff works. Like it creates goodwill. They're going viral for these things. And people aren't saying the same things about the Browns and Blackburns that they did for a couple decades. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, the Joe Burrow and the winning has certainly helped that, but you know, you can, you, they also, as you mentioned, you've capitalized on that goodwill and got more goodwill. And listen, they're going to need that goodwill when, when we get down to brass tacks in a, in a couple of years where we start talking about lease. So, you know, they're not stupid either. Um, but I think some of this stuff is, is, is really easy to do. Like Ring of Honor, been clamoring for that for years. How hard was that to do at the end of the day? Not very. I mean, some of this is common sense stuff, but to their credit, they're doing it. And you're right. Fans are buying into it and it all meshed perfectly together. Um But again, I think they realize they're going to need the goodwill down the road when, when push comes to shove with the lease conversation. I know Elizabeth Blackburn is in charge of a lot of like that outreach stuff. It seems like is that, I mean, she was hired three or four years ago. Does it feel like she's kind of the main force behind this uh, public image that they've developed? Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. And again, um, I, I, you, you can't put that public image out there if you're going two and 15 or two and 14 right. or four, 12 and one all the time, you need to, you need to win too. But again, winning, winning cures a lot. But it doesn't take that next step, right? It, it does a lot. Fans are going to come more because you're winning than you're doing something outreach-wise or some cool show or whatever. But there's no reason you can't marry the two, and they've done, they've done a really good job of that. Yeah, I'll just say, like, 
going back to the height of the Marvin Lewis era and when you have like Carson and Chad and those guys, like they started to win a little bit. Now, not like this group has won, obviously, but they started to win a little bit and they were making it fun again. And there wasn't near the buy-in from the team and the commitment from the team to do these extra things and kind of build the, you know, they let Chad do his own thing. And that was basically the only PR they ever had, it was whatever <laughs> Chad was going to be doing publicly and making a scene, but they didn't go out of their way to build these guys up and do some of these extra stuff. And I'll just like, I, I'm impressed because I think they recognized, they looked internal and said, we've got a problem here that we need to fix. And they've worked really hard to do it. And I think they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. And, and I, it, this is going to be, you know, mics of a generation that, you know, football was that, I mean, football was just football. We're, we're putting a football team out there and that's the product and nothing else needs to go with the product. They used to have back in the day, they had a band because his dad liked the band. They had a band in the end zone and they used to have the, 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 the white tiger, um, that went by the wayside eventually, but that was kind of like their entertainment. That was that was kind of what they did. And I think to him, the product was always football. Well, as we know, the product is way more than just football. Again, we fans want their team to win. That's the core of it. But it's just way more than that from an entertainment perspective. And I think when you hand it over to a younger generation, they're going to get it far better than the older generation gets it. Yeah, definitely. All right, Skinny, anything else on the Bengals that you want to get to or should we move on here? Um, I guess the only other thing is, and, and this podcast will be uh, up probably after the fact, is whether or not Joe Burrow throws some publicly this week. Do we see him this week? And if, if not, what what does that mean? Um, you know, Zach got asked a couple of questions yesterday about him, about whether some of this is tied to the contract. He wanted no part of talking about any of that. He said, we'll see when he was asked about, will, will Burrow practice this week? Um, again, we will see. And if if he doesn't, then, you know, when, he, when they return on Monday, because they have a, a Monday Labor Day practice I mean, that's kind of game week. At that point, then I'm starting to worry a little bit about where this is heading, maybe both contract-wise and injury health-wise. So I'll be interested to see if he works one of these two days. All right, let's switch gears here to the Reds. They are now 68-66 and after losing four of their last five games. They've fallen seven games behind the first-place Brewers in the NL Central and two games back of the Giants for the third wild-card spot in the NL Skinny, the big news of the week for the Reds is rookie Matt McClain going on the injured list with a right oblique strain. Is McClain's injury the death blow for the Reds season? Feels like it. Um, you know, you're, you're missing arguably three of your four most important bats at the moment. And I, I consider the four most important. I don't even consider Ellie one of the most important yet because he just hasn't been consistent enough. He's fun. <laughs> um, ball jumps off his bat whenever he connects. He doesn't connect enough at the moment. But to me, the four most important hitters on this club because they always feel like they give you great at bats are Jonathan India, Jake Fraley, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer. Those would be my four. If you've got somebody I'm missing, TJ Friedel, maybe he's the, maybe he's the fifth and TJ's in the lineup at the moment, but you're missing, you know, at least three of your five most important hitters for sure. And, you know, on a night Tuesday night when they almost got no hit, the middle of your lineup was Ellie De La Cruz who struck out over a hundred times and is really just struggling at the moment. He sees really looks lost. Nick Martini, you couldn't have found Nick Martini with a five-day head start and a roadmap before the season started where he was playing. You couldn't have. It's been a nice story. He's done some nice things here with the Reds. He's a 33-year-old journeyman. He's batting cleanup. And then Tyler Stevenson, who is hitting a little better of late, I suppose. He's been batting eighth and ninth since you got your lineup reshuffled. He had to hit fifth last night. I mean, you're not winning. That, that, that lineup honestly deserved to get no hit last night. It was so bad. Where, where was Nick Martini before the season started? I believe he was. I believe he was with the Cubs, who then 
DFA'd him, and then he played for Louisville. I, in fact, I was driving home from from a – I broadcast a high school soccer game last night. I drove home listening to the pregame show. Our friend Jim Kelch was uh, was doing an interview with Nick Martini in Louisville, kind of about his journey. Um, so I got a chance to hear that that from Jim. And it's an interesting journey, and I'm happy for the guy. But, I mean, again, you're batting a 33-year-old journeyman with very few at-bats in the major leagues in his career. You're batting him clean up in a playoff race. Seriously? Right. I, and I, I, there's nobody to blame. I mean, it, that's where Jake Fraley would be hitting or somebody else. And Jonathan Innie would be in the middle of your lineup. And Matt McClay would be in the middle of your lineup. I mean, you're missing three or four most important – arguably maybe your three most important hitters are out at the moment. Yeah. I mean, injuries have become the story for this red season. I know everyone wants to make it about the trade deadline and, and I get it that they, they probably could have done more, but the injuries have derailed the season, regardless of whether they would have made that move or not. It feels like at this point, because like you said, when three Listen, of your top four bats are out of the lineup and you're a young team, that's kind of just piecing it together anyway, just getting by. Sorry. I mean, you're not going to have much of a chance when you lose three guys like that. Yeah. Everybody wants to relitigate the trade deadline. I fully understand that because it's frustrating, but the key there was go get a starting pitcher. They didn't do that. It's really not been the starting pitching. I mean, Hunter Green's not been very good at the moment, but really the starting pitching since the All-Star break has been more than good enough to win games, more than good enough to win games. If the lineup had done what the lineup was doing before the All-Star break and no one was clamoring to go trade for a bat, you felt good about the lineup. I did too. Right. Well, again, three or four key guys are out of that lineup. So you can relitigate the tread deadline all you want, folks. But, but again, this was about getting a starting pitcher and the starting pitching hasn't cost this team. Yeah, I would actually argue that it turned out great that they didn't go out and waste prospects on a starting pitcher because it probably wouldn't have made any difference with all these bats going out of the lineup. Now you'd you'd still be screwed with a, a starting pitcher who's maybe only given up two or three runs a game, but you're still losing those games because your offense can't get off the schneid. So, uh, I mean, when you look at Green, Lodolo, Vado, the guys you mentioned, I, I mean, the injuries have just derailed the season and injuries are always part of the game. But with the way this season was playing out for the Reds, it would have been a lot of fun and it would have been nice to be able to just see them stay a little bit healthier and see what they really had out of this group. Now, fortunately, you did learn a lot about your rookie class. So, Yeah, I'm not giving it up on it completely yet because you still have the head-to-head this weekend with the Cubs to make up some ground. But after that, if if you can't win that series um, and make up a little bit of ground, I I know their schedule is not as hard down the stretch, but I I still think it's a big ask unless – God love Fraley. He's on a rehab assignment. He's trying to play through it for the boys. And, you know, maybe he can, and maybe he comes provide some pop and McLean's back in another week. Um, you know, that's a big hope. And and hopefully Hunter Green turns this around again, the way it looks right now, that's a big hope. Um, I'm not completely unsold on it yet, but yeah, I mean, it feels like it's coming off the rails for sure. But I, I would agree because you're still only two games back of the giants for a wild card spot. I mean, you're, you're still, and you're playing them head to head one more game here as, we're recording this on Thursday, so you got one more game against them. Make up that game. I mean, they're still very much in the mix for a wild card spot. Now, the problem is things are obviously going in the wrong direction, and you got a lot of guys out. But I, yeah, I think it's it's silly to me the people who are getting really pissed off and acting like this season's a failure or whatever. And it's like same old Reds. Like this was a great, unexpected season where they're like already surpassing their win total with. A bunch of games still to go. Like before the year started, based on what they had done this offseason, we thought this was going to be a disaster and a lost cause of a season. And instead, we had a team that was competitive the whole year, pretty much. And we found out that a lot of these young guys that they were banking on being good for the next few years are good. They're talented and they've got a chance to be really good potentially. So, I mean, I just, it's hard for me to see anything, see this year for anything but being 
a success and a good sign for things going forward. I just don't really get the collective uh, concern or, or frustration around the city. Yeah, I don't either. I'm with you on that. Um, I, th- I do think Corbin Carroll, of the Diamondbacks, is now locked up National League Rookie of the Year with McLean going on the DL. I don't think he'll, he'll have any chance of sneaking up on him there now. Um, but the one other thing on McLean, do you think he has been the Reds' best player this year? I, I do. Um, you know, he strikes out a little more than I would like him to strike out, but um, he's, he's shown you he made a – I felt bad. He, he He's such a good defensive player. He made that bad error the other night. Um in the extra inning game that they came back and won. But yeah, I mean, he's shown you he can play second and short. He's shown you he could probably hit at some point one through four in your lineup. I think he's that, I think he's got enough power. I don't think he probably will because you're going to have some other power guys in your lineup, but he could honestly hit one through four in your lineup. And and even though he strikes out a lot, it, it doesn't bother me like it bothers me with some other players. I don't know why that is because it just feels like whenever he, he, he gives you a good at bat, and um, doesn't overswing. It's just it's it's just weird. It's weird to me because he does strike out a ton. He's over 100 strikeouts on the season. Um, again, hopefully that's something he can cut down on moving forward. I think if he does, he's going to be a 315 hitter um, if he can if he can do that. But even if not, he's going to be one of those guys. I, I love the guy that hits that hard 290 where it just feels like you look up and he gives you a, a good at bat or two every single solitary night. Hard 290 is. <laughs> Got to be one of my new favorite <laughs> phrases. I'm using that forever yeah. going forward. But I, it, it is so funny because the good at bat thing is exactly, and maybe that's just us being anecdotal and making up narratives about a guy we like to watch play, but it does feel the same way to me. His strikeouts don't feel the same way other guys do, where they go up there and they don't really have a plan and they look overmatched. They're they're wailing at breaking balls in the dirt or something. It's like you just pitch that guy the same time every way because he doesn't know how to handle himself up there. That's not McLean. Like, he... He doesn't have an obvious weakness in terms of his zone that you want to throw to. It's not like he's up there just waving at bad pitches or anything. He just, for whatever reason, he does strike out a ton, but you don't feel real bad about it watching it because it looks like he's giving you great at bats every time. It's, it is a weird thing. I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean, Ellie looks like he flails, right? I mean, you throw him right. anything that's, that's off speed. He's just, he's flailing at it. I mean, when he connects, it's dirt. fun, yeah. uh, but he looks flailing, but, but yeah, but McLean, it's like, yeah, he just struck out, but boy, that was a good strike. He fouled off too hard and took two balls and you know, they got him on a good pitch and, but it is weird. Cause he does, he's got a bunch of strikeouts. Yeah. Uh, one other thing to get to here with the red skinny, Andrew Abbott is averaging four and a half innings in his last six starts with a 6.67 ERA. He's over 142 innings on the year. If you factor in the 54 innings he pitched in double A and triple A, he's never pitched more than 120 innings in a year before. Is it time to shut Andrew Abbott down? No, I'd like to see him pitch through it. I I would. I I understand that. I mean, if we get to the final week plus and you're out of it and he had another start or two, then maybe. I do think probably fatigue is starting to become a factor, but I – Listen, I, I I hate to be old school guy, but I, I'm so sick of babying these guys. I really and truly am. I, I let them pitch through some of this. I, I, I'd like to see him pitch through this. I'd like to see him fight through some adversity here. I really would. Well, my only thing is, and I Listen, don't want the guy I, I to get be, injured. I, yeah, I don't want to be Johnny Hardo that you got to throw a complete game every time out, and I need to throw you see you throw 300 innings and make 42 starts. I don't need that. But you know, the, the days of of taking Graham Ashcraft out of games because he gave up a home run and he's at 78 pitches is pissing me off. I mean, that guy, that guy can pitch deeper in the games and should. Yeah. Well, and 
the thing with Abbott too, and, and I always think this with young pitchers is, okay, he's never done this before. I understand it. We're in uncharted waters, but aren't you going to expect him to do this at some point? Like what, when is it an okay time to decide, yes, this right. is the year that he's going to pitch more. I like next year, if you're in the same spot and the team's better and you're in first place, in the NL central, then what, then it's okay to do it. Like, that's the only thing. I just don't understand when does the year when is it the year that it's okay to stretch him out and let him figure it out? To me, this would seem like as long as you don't feel like he's at risk physically and he's not going to be injured, this would seem like the year to let him go ahead and take his lumps here in the last few starts of the season because you're kind of falling out of it already and you probably don't have much of a chance to compete for it all this year, but hopefully next year you do. And hopefully next year he is one of the key pieces to that. And now I get like like I heard uh I think it was Mo yesterday on his show talking about, he said, well, your whole strategy this year, especially at the trade deadline was to play for the future. You should be playing for the future and, and worry about Andrew Abbott's future. I get that. But again, I just wonder like you're going to expect him to pitch more innings than 120 next year. So why not try to stretch him out this year and try to build up to that? I'm with you. And, and that's the thing. What is the magic number? No one knows. I mean, there's no, like here's the magic number for this guy that he can't pitch above it or his arm will fall off. I, I, that's the thing to me. I don't think there is any kind of magic number to any of this. Same with pitch count. You know, 100 pitches, is that the magical number? Well, maybe for some guys, 85 is. Maybe for some guys, the third time through the order is. Maybe for other guys, it's they're fine third time through the order. And, um, you know, they can go 125 pitches. I, not everybody is the same dude. So stop treating everybody as the same dude. That's a really good point. We get so caught up in putting these guys in boxes, especially when it comes to like the innings pitched and things like that, where everyone's body is so different. I mean, we know that for a fact. Science has told us that a billion different times. It's why all these different diets are out there and everything else. I mean, everyone's body functions a little bit differently. I don't think you can just decide that, yeah, th- this is the cutoff point for for th- for every pitcher. I mean, for everyone's going to be a little bit different. And uh, I I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm I'm over the baby in pitchers too much. Now, if you're worried about him, if there's some reason to think, yeah, like physically he doesn't look the sure. same or he's starting to wear down, right. we don't want him to get injured, absolutely shut him down. But if he feels great and everything looks good and his mechanics still look good and he's just taking some lumps because he's, he's hitting a wall, let him pitch through that. Let him figure it out. Yeah, and back to the body types, you know, why did fat Tony Gwynn be able to play every day and in shape Eric Davis? Unfortunately not. I mean – if you were looking at two bodies in, in, in that era of baseball and go, which body would you rather have? I go, well, give me the Eric Davis body. And yet Tony, Tony Quinn was able to play and Eric got hurt all the time. Let fat guys be fat. I've said it a million times. I said it when Jonathan Broxton got to town, they tried to make him work out. He hurt his back. Let the man be fat. This fat guys know how to handle their bodies. You, They'll take care of it. You know, one of the great lines of all time, right? John Cruck had it. John Cruck, who was, kind of portly himself said, you know, I don't have to worry about pulling a muscle because you can't pull fat. That's right. Fat leads get it. Like those are the most dangerous guys in all of sports. The guy that can drink 20 beers, roll out of bed with a hangover at noon and still walk in and hit, go three for four with a couple of homers. Those are the guys that are the ones you don't want to mess with. Just leave them alone. You can't take that God given ability away that they have. All right. That's correct. Let's get into our college football segment, Skinny. We've actually got some college football games to pick. We are zero and zero. You're you're not getting credit for your Notre Dame win last week. That was not part of our pick. I'm Fair sorry. enough. So we've got uh, Ball State at Kentucky. Lena's, oh, by the way, great week one slate. 
Like, I'm not saying there's a ton of big time games here, though. There are a few that I'm interested in, but a great week hey, one well, yeah. There's interesting games on Thursday, interesting games on Friday, and then on Saturday, from a watching perspective, we got the Cats at noon. Then we've got Ohio State and the Bearcats playing in that three to three thirty time slot. It's really going to be a nice day of football. But Saturday at noon, we've got Ball State at Kentucky. The Wildcats are 26 and a half point favorites. The total is 49 and a half. Yeah, I think Kentucky maybe gets the 49 and a half by themselves. I really am bullish on this offense. I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, I think it'll be a better offense than the Will Levis, Wandale Robinson, Chris Rodriguez offense. I really do. I think they've got the offensive line settled. Those those young receivers who were standouts as freshmen, um, you know, are all back. You got a great tight end room. Devin Leary, I think, is a more polished quarterback at this point by far, and he, he is because he's done it more way more than Will Levis did. You got Liam Cohen back. Um, I think Kentucky rolls in the over. I'll go. I'll go Kentucky forty-five, Ball State ten. So Kentucky in the over for me. And yes, I know I'm a homer, but I'm really bullish on this offense. All right, so I like Kentucky to roll in this game as well. The 26-and-a-half feels easy to me, but I'm going to go just under. I'm going to say Kentucky 42, Ball State 7, so we're staying a half point under at 49. Uh, I'm going to go with UK and the under in this one, but I'm I'm with you on Liam Cohen. I think that's going to be big for Kentucky. I just feel like at the end of the day, we still know who the head coach is. That's a defensive mind right there. He has, he has a hard time scoring a lot of points. Uh, Saturday at 3 p.m., we've got Ohio State at Indiana. Pretty fun Big Ten matchup to start things off, even though Indiana will stink, I'm sure. Ohio State is a 30-point favorite. 59.5 is the total for this one. It's a really good Ohio State team on both sides of the ball. The question is at quarterback. They made a decision for for week one. I don't know if that's the long-term decision. We talked about that a little bit last week when we did our college football preview. But I just think because of that, because of the new quarterback situation, being on the road, it, it, they, look, Ohio State's going to win comfortably, but that's a big number to me, 30. I don't think Indiana's very good, mind you. But I'll go I'll go Ohio State 34, Indiana 14. All right, so you're on, o- or, uh, you're on Indiana and the under here. Yeah. Um, I, I am we're – we're on opposite sides of – this well, I take that back. I'm on the under as well. 59 and a half just feels like a lot. So I'm going to do the same thing I did in the Ball State Kentucky game. I'm going to go half a point under that and say it's uh 45 to 14. So I'm going to go with 59 as the total. Ohio State and the under for me. Um, I just think Ohio State, even with the two quarterback system, and I do think Devin Brown will end up being the better quarterback between the two and will end up being the the starter at some point this year. I still think they just they don't score under 40 points in week one. They're, they're going to light up the scoreboard. That's Fair what enough. Ohio State does. And then uh, we have a problem here because I don't have any lines for the Cincinnati game. I cannot find a line. Anywhere. Yeah, I'm going to look. It's out yet. I'm going to look for one. We, we can pick a score, though, and then we can see. Maybe, the lines for a lot of those games where it's a, a, a UC versus a Eastern come out the morning of a lot of times, yeah. um, which is unfortunate I, if we're doing this segment. I would say I do not have a line on either, so I say we just pick a score. Right. I'd say 22 right. and a half is going to be the spread. Um, Cause a lot of the computer yeah. models I saw were picking somewhere around 23 ish. Okay. Um, I'm really interested to see what this UC team is all about with Emory Jones, a quarterback, Me new too. coach, bunch of transfers. Um, you know, this could, this could be really good or this could go haywire. I think it's a big ask in the opener for it to go as perfectly as you'd like. Eastern Kentucky, while it's a step down, obviously, in competition, they've got a really good quarterback. 
a really good offense. They made the playoffs last year. Um, and I think because of the newness for UC, it, it's just going to be choppy. UC's going to win it and going to win it comfortably, but I'll go Bearcats 34-17. Yeah, I just – I am I have no idea how to project UC's offense. I don't know really anything about those guys. Like all the key players are going to be transfers pretty much. You, you even got some key offensive linemen, new offensive linemen that we don't know about. The defense I think is still going to be pretty good. I think we have an idea of what they'll look like, and I think – we saw them last year. They were really good defensively. Some of those guys are back, and they've added some new guys that I think will help. I expect the defense to be pretty good. I'm thinking this is probably an underplay for me, even though we don't know what the number is yet. I My guess is I'm going to like the the under number pretty well. Um, and I, I'll say UC wins this one 35-14. All right, Skinny, do you have any other – picks of the week we always like to give people our, our maybe our favorite pick of the week or a parlay or something else to look at do you have anything for week one in college football yeah now again you said earlier we're t- taping this on on thursday we're actually taping it on wednesday but i get it you're you're a dad you got dad oh, uh, stuff yeah, on I your brain the days don't even mean anything you're to me good anymore. yeah I'm, I'm gonna go to the thursday night game on espn florida at utah um i know cam rising's hurt but utah's really good at home uh, I don't think much of this Florida team. I, I Utah's laying four and a half. That that feels like I'm. That's that's my one pick of the week. I, I usually give you a teaser. I'll probably start doing that in the NFL and all that stuff. But I, I like the Thursday night game with Utah. That they they owe Florida from last year. So yeah, give give me Utah by double digits. Okay, I like that. I'm excited about that game. That's a great Thursday night game on on week one. Um, there's a couple things I like here. One. Alabama is playing Middle Tennessee. Alabama always beats the brakes off whoever their first opponent is. I'm not interested in the total line here, but Alabama minus nine and a half in the first quarter against Middle Tennessee feels good to me. I'm going to go Alabama minus nine and a half. I have a feeling that might be like 20 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. So uh, I- I'm good with that. And then the other game I, I like that's, a lot. That's a, good, that's a good pick except for one thing. If, if, I wish I knew who the starting quarterback was, and I just hope it's not the Notre Dame guy because I think he stunk. And if he's the guy, your 10 points in the first quarter may be hard to come by. I don't think it matters for Alabama playing Middle Tennessee. I think Nick Saban takes pride on just being freaking ready to play against crappy opponents because one of my favorite traditions is betting huge numbers for Alabama in the first couple weeks of the season, and they usually seem to to fare pretty well. Um, NC State also is – a 14 and a half point favorite over UConn last year. I think they won like, I don't know, 41 to 10 against UConn or something like that. I mean, they beat them by three or four, four or five touchdowns at least. So um, I like NC state minus 14 and a half over UConn. I know NC state is not supposed to be very good this year, but UConn always stinks. Like they're always terrible. They overachieved record wise last year because they scheduled it that way. I, I, I like NC state minus 14 and a half. I don't forget Devin Leary's not the quarterback there any longer, and UConn did get better as last year went along. I actually don't care if you were the quarterback for NC State in that game. I would still like that 14 and a half number. All right, fair enough. All right. We've got a little time for asking any anything, although we're we're right over here. We've got some uh timing constraints as well today. So we'll go a little bit quick here. The one of the only questions I actually got was uh, out of all the regular radio and TV hits you do, Skinny, 
Do you have a favorite? And also, do you like broadcasting sports, doing talk radio, doing TV, writing, or something else more? Uh, no, I love broadcasting games. I, I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, and I, I do a bunch of high school games in the area. I, I really do. I've, I just have been a radio play-by-play junkie my whole life. I love in the car, being in the car in the summertime and flipping through the dial, listening to to out-of-town uh, baseball games if the Reds aren't on. Like last night, I flipped to uh, ESPN 1000 Chicago just because I knew they had a game on. It, it was a terrible game, and I just like the ambience of that. So, yeah. Um, I like that. As far as shows go, I, 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 I enjoy almost all the segments I do or else I wouldn't do them with people. I do like my Wednesday Bengals hit with Mo just because he's kind of got a little attitude like me, like very cynical. Um, uh, and he doesn't take himself too seriously. None of the guys really do, to be honest with you. So I, again, I, I wouldn't do any of the hits I do, um, if I didn't enjoy doing them, but, uh, the one on during football season with Mo, I, I, I really enjoy that one. Yeah. I, I always enjoy doing Mo's show as well. He's, He's got the right um, mindset, I think, to to handle us. I enjoy doing that type of stuff. Now, I got another thing that was sent to us by multiple people that they wanted to get your reaction to. Uh, this is from Irish Breakdown on Sports Illustrated. It's a Notre Dame podcast. And Skinny, I know there are a lot of people that are listening to our podcast. We have a lot more listeners than we do people viewing on YouTube. So you, we're playing this video on YouTube. If you want to go watch it, you can watch it on our YouTube page. But otherwise, Skinny, can you kind of explain, as I hit play on this, will you kind of explain what you're watching and what you see this gentleman, Vince Daddario, on the left doing as uh, this quick clip plays? It's only 12 seconds long. Maybe never force him to pull it and throw it. Um, so I think they only completed he just like leaned three- back in his chair. He looks right. very uncomfortable. And he just left his chair. Throw a lot I'm going to guess he's either had to go puke or he crapped himself. Yeah, so obviously that's uh, what the internet thinks, is this man has crapped himself. Now let me tell you, here's what he said happened there. He came back and he said, oh boy, uh, yeah, just got double quad cramps hit me at the same time. And I had to, had to bounce and take care of that. So the double quad cramp, was his excuse to so skinny. I think it's obvious. We can go ahead and say it. He crapped his pants. I mean, he, he crapped his pants while doing a podcast. Coach well, Brown. Okay. So I've never had quad cramps. I've had calf cramps before. I guess you can cramp in your quad. Have you ever had quad cramps? I've had calf. I, I, have, I have not nothing that would hit me like just sitting still quad. Uh, I've, I've had like cramping my quad during actual activity when you're like going hard during a practice or something. But here's the thing, you know, what's never happened to anyone. Never in the history of the entire world that they got double quad cramps at the exact same time while sitting doing an Notre Dame podcast. It's it's been proven. It's never ever happened. It's impossible. So you've got to come up with a yeah, better he got, excuse. He that. got he got quad cramps because he tried to pinch it in and keep it in and couldn't do it. That's why he got quad cramps. Yeah, he was doing the double sphincter pinch and uh, pulled pulled a couple muscles. I think. Correct, uh, Skinny. What what would you do here? If I mean, now we're not doing this show live, so it wouldn't matter. But what would be your play there if you if you try to sneak out a fart and it wasn't a fart and you got to go or do you just sit there and finish off the podcast in your soiled drawers or what do you do? I I think before that would come to that if you know it's going to be a, a potentially bad one coming, I just have to say I have to excuse myself for a second, folks. I have to go to the restroom. Sorry. I think based on the look See, on I, that guy's face, he had no idea it was coming. He thought he was lean because he leaned forward a little bit. <laughs> If you watch it, I think he thought he was going to let out just a little SBD in his own home, and then he scored. <laughs> well, see, if that, that point, depending on the, the 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 magnitude of it, 
I think you just you, you roll through it, man. You just sit there. No one knows. No one can see it. It's a podcast, right? I mean, no one. Can, I, I will say both these guys. Like you need a shave. Too. Look, see how he's leaning forward yeah, there. That, that's what. That's the moment right there. Uh, pull out he's leaning forward. He's leaning forward. Look at his face. There it was. Yeah. See, he was uh, so trusted I think he only a fart. completed like three RPO throws. That's so the whole obvious. Time. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Skinny. They deleted this. They deleted this little thing. So this was a live show that was on their YouTube. They went back. They edit out that part so you can't see him, and it just goes full screen on the other guy talking. And so that that like so you know they wanted to cover it up, which means he crapped his pants. I mean, that's yeah, you got to. Yeah, I agree. It, it, like, I, I look, say- if you want to lie about this, you got to say there was someone breaking into my house with a gun. Or, um, you know, my kid was falling into the my house is on fire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, call it was something better than I had double. Oh, boy. I had double quad cramps at the exact same time. I had to stretch it out. I mean, what I are will we say their, their background and backdrop is really nice. The Irish breakdown thing in the background is very nice. Oh, I mean, these guys podcast like 16 times a day. I was looking at their YouTube page. Okay. They had like. Four uploads from yesterday, each that are like very long. Oh, so right. they've got like a whole team of guys. Just the uh, what was that called? Irish breakdown. Be sure to check them out. I'm sure it's great, great coverage. But here, also, you might get a last poop. question. Yeah, correct. Here's my question: Did that chair survive? Did he get a new chair? Uh, well, he returned in the same chair. But I'm going to say let's keep an eye on the next few podcasts to see if he might want to roll a new one in there. Because I think it's kind of like shoes for me. If I stepped in dog poop in a pair of shoes. They're dead to me. I throw them away. I'm not washing them out because there will ever be poop shoes. You never get them back to like normal, even though you clean them. I think it's the same way with an office yeah, desk chair. If you poop point. in it, you got to throw it away. Very fair point. All right. Appreciate right, everybody with the questions. Keep them coming. We'll be back next week. Thanks to you, Rick. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Blake, the Attorney Mason.